Two men wake up to find themselves chained to the wall of a dirty, abandoned bathroom. One a doctor, the other a photographer, both of them guilty of taking their lives for granted. They have a choice to make, live or die. The game begins in one of the most influential horror films of the 2000s, and the second film to be revisited on this podcast, 2004's Saw. I'm Connor Zagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to episode 106 of the Filmgasm podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and want to see it evolve into something even better, feel free to donate anything you want. Every little bit goes right back into the show, allows us to make the show better. If you want to donate, head to the Filmgasm podcast page on whatever your podcast platform is. Click on support this podcast in the description. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And now, since there is no rewind today, let's jump right into it. We are joined today by Filmgasm contributor Josh Allred, who is a big fan of the Saw franchise, and is here to help us dissect this film, try to uncover why it's so loved in the horror community. Thanks for joining us today, Josh. Good to be here. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. How are you doing, Austin? Yeah, I'm pretty good, man. Uh, Saw is, you know, a lot of fun. One of the coolest endings, and uh, always makes me jump, so I'm excited to be here and talk about it with you guys. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. We've, uh, so, uh... <clears throat> we uh i first tackled saw alone on the ninth episode of the filmgasm podcast way back in april of 2019 when i thought i could steer this ship all by myself thankfully things changed pretty quick and now we're here to give this horror classic the proper treatments our plan to do that with every film that i did on my own in the early run of the show just seems fair we were give, i was turning out 15 20 minute videos no way you know cannot do these films justice in that amount of time so you know, you live, you learn, you figure shit out, you get a team together, you do it again. Yeah, and here we are. Yeah, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, worked out with The Shining, going to work out with Saw, and we're going to do the rest of them too eventually. So, boys, how did we first discover Saw? Go ahead, Josh. Um, I was in college, actually, um, because I'm the old bastard of the crew. Um <laughs> It was, it was something that when it came along, it was pretty fresh. And at the time I was studying a lot of independent cinema and this movie has a lot of that spirit. And I dug a little bit and kind of listened to uh, Lee Wanell and James Wan, like the whole story behind the genesis of this and kind of what they had to do to get this made. The fact that it started off with a short which is how anybody that wants to break into the movie making business, that's where they got to make their bread and butter. And it's also where somebody who doesn't go to film school, that is their film school. And I started to look at this a little like critically in the composition of it, how it was put together. And it definitely has like a very amateur hand to it. But even with that, there are lots of technical choices that unless you're really looking for them, you're not going to see. But once you see them, you're like, damn, these guys knew what they wanted. So that's that's kind of how I feel about this movie. Um, everything that came after it, I I have I have I have my opinion. So yes. once we get down that road, I'll, I'll throw those in there. Oh, yeah, this is very I don't want to say it's a divisive franchise, but it's either beloved or fucking hated 
I think a lot of people, a lot of people I know who don't like horror, they hate the Saw franchise. It's become like synonymous with, you know, torture porn and just overuse of gore. And I have no issues with that, but a lot of people find that just repulsive. Yeah, yeah, it's become it's become one of those films that, that people think of when they hear horror. And that, that's good and bad, right? It's good when you have seen it and you have context, and it's bad when you haven't seen it and you just have these preconceived ideas about it. But uh, I, I definitely, you know, found this movie in, when I was in high school. And and like you said, Josh, when you're kind of looking for looking through independent film and it has that vibe and is totally a vision that uh, I, I believe they finished the script in 2001. And knowing that it took that long and that's it, just really beautiful, that kind of a journey. And it, it very much is a, a movie for the for the little guys. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, this was made on a very limited budget. Look how much money it made. It made like $130 million or some shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's all filmed in just, you know, one bathroom with the occasional extra scene put in there. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. I mean, if you know, if you take the entire Saw franchise into account, it's an awesome epic franchise, I think. But if you just isolate the first film, I think it's one of the smartest independent films made of the 2000s. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, like you said, of this, this whole century and that time, in, in horror when we were, you know, trying to figure some stuff out. And I, I think there's a lot more cooler stuff, foreign stuff uh, during the early 2000s. But I think Saw is one of the ones that, especially for James Wan, right? Lee Winnell. I mean, these guys are still with us and still just killing it. And Lee Winnell, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, this guy, I, I adore Upgrade, right? And to see that this guy has come all that way to make, to me, a really, you know, precise and cut clean cut awesome horror like thriller movie I i'm so proud of him well and then to you know to achieve like critical and financial insane success with the invisible man yeah which is great i like upgrade more but it's also great yeah but that movie i think is going to put him in a like a whole new place i don't think he's ever been in for sure like mainstream success outside the horror community yes and i'm excited to see what he does next with that uh what do you think josh um so I was I was pretty impressed, and I think reading about uh, Lee Wan-El and James Wan, how they allowed themselves a lot of freedom within the constraints of the money they were able to raise, yeah. and that's something that within art you you learn to work with whatever limits you have, and even within those limits, you're free to do a lot, and it's all about getting creative and not seeing those things as hurdles. Um, the fact that they shot everything that they did, I think all of the bathroom stuff took like six days or something insane like that. It was, it was amazing that they could get all of that stuff done. And then everybody else like Danny Glover stuff was done in two days. Um, just all of these little bits and then be able to put it together and then finding out, that James Wan, because they could only afford like one or two takes, they didn't have enough to actually like flesh out a whole movie. So they went right back in, added some bits and pieces here with like the security footage. And then you you see like, even though it's, when you when you have all that information and then you look at it, you're like, okay, I, you, you start to see the seams, so to speak. And even with seeing that, I was still like, damn, like, they, they actually made something out of that when too often, you know, you could sacrifice the, the plot or some acting in it, which both of those 
are really strong in this. It, it, it needed to be strong in order for everything else to come after it, you know, to kind of play fast and loose with, you know, all the jumping around that they did with the rest of the movies um, and letting the traps kind of take center stage, which I was not a huge fan of um, in, in later sequels. Like, I think when it started out like this and you only saw the one real trap and then the other one was, you know, just a giant fucking razor wire jungle gym. Um, <laughs> it, it, it showed a lot of creativity. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you, you have to give these guys credit for what they did. And the fact that they've come from that point to going on to all the other things that they've been able to do shows that they weren't one trick ponies. They had ideas and they had, they weren't dicking around. Yeah. No, well, not, not even that. Like, it was just like, these guys have real vision and to be able to take something very, very small and very contained. And then from that show that they can, you know, take a treasured property like the invisible man and actually create a legit, amazing horror movie, which all good horror like exercises, you know, real fears that we have. And they, he did that superbly. I, I, I really love the invisible man. And I was really happy. I got to see that in a theater because it was a really good experience and it really captured, you know, a, a very real emotional moment, but also had like this terrible, horrific thing happening to her. That's like out of this world. Yeah, I thought that, you know, Lee Winnell easily could have phoned that in. He could have just remade Invisible Man. He could have just, you know, slapped a new skin on the 30s story and not really made anything of substance, but he didn't. He went out of his way to make an original, intense thriller that really worked. And I think stands as one of the strongest films of the year. I know we didn't get a lot to talk about this year, but oh, I think The Invisible Man, if we had had, uh, you know, a typical movie year, I, th- I still think it would have stood out. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it definitely, um, and, and I don't think it's one of those that's going to be dated by its content because it is a story that was all too true leading up to the, the release of that film. And then after it, it's still going to happen. This kind of thing is not just going to go away overnight. And I think the fact that he was able to capture something and for lack of a better expression, like put a face on it, it was amazing really amazing and i mean give him give him carte blanche to do something i mean i i didn't i wasn't expecting upgrade either and i'm i'm with you austin upgrade is fucking wonderful it is balls to the wall bananas sci-fi horror action movie and something like that a, a good genre genre blending movie where you don't it's not really sh- it's not really like clearly defined what kind of movie this is because they're just playing on so many different things. Those kinds of movies really work. And on top of that, that kind of stuff came out of like trauma. They mashed up genres all the damn time and it shows that it works. And especially in the hands of a really good writer director, you give them the money and you let them do what they're going to do. It's safe. You can see that something good is going to come out of this. Hell yeah. And all of that shit started with Saw. And uh, yeah, let's talk more about how this kind of came about. So Saw began life as a short film in 03 as a way to pitch their script for a full-length film of the same name. The short starred Lee Winnell as a man trapped in the now infamous reverse bear trap. 
rips your jaw open if you don't find the key to unlock it in time. Apparently, the trap used in the short was fully functional, thus making the scene highly dangerous, as Lee Winnell literally hooked this thing into his jaw <laughs> to film the short film. And uh, they shot it in just over eight days, got approval from Lionsgate to film their full-length saw. The concept used in the short was put into the first movie. It's Amanda's uh, flashback scene. <laughs> so cool. I'm glad they were able to, you know, recycle. So... Lee Winnell and James Wan, the men behind some of the most amazing horror films of the past 20 years. And uh, as well as Saw, James Wan directed the first two Insidious films. He's the driving force behind the Conjuring franchise, uh, directed Conjuring 1 and 2, provided the story for The Nun and Annabelle Comes Home, Dead Silence, Furious 7, Aquaman. The guy is a fucking star. He's so good everything he steps behind the camera to do it's awesome i fucking love james Wan. <laughs> me too he's prolific at this point and the conjuring is is wicked important for the you know saws 2004 and the 2000s but i'd say the conjuring is equally as important for the 2010s in kind of uh revitalizing and rejuvenating the entire horror genre as far as being a very very profitable and entertaining genre and The Conjuring 1 and 2 are, are not just good horror movies. They're so entertaining and so well done and so well casted. Uh, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are wonderful in that. And you've you got to give it to James, James Wan for having that vision and bringing these two iconic real-life characters to life for the horror fans. I, I, I think that movie's wicked important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what do you think, Josh? <laughs> um, okay, so The Conjuring, yes. The Conjuring was a really a really good ghost story movie and i'm not really big on those i really liked it it was really tense um again you can you can see in certain scenes that like the guy knows how to craft a good scare i will say you know like on a personal level i have a really big bone to pick with um ed and lorraine warren not a huge fan of them um they're oh, oh yeah they're, they're <laughs> shysters as far as i'm concerned and you know they can fucking whatever they, they got what's coming to them however the fact that as characters they've persisted you know to to for this long i mean they were they were involved in the amityville thing way back in the 70s so yeah i think that you know james wan used them well he didn't he didn't try and glorify them he just you know he, he put them in there and right. i think yeah i think that um their portrayal was was safe while not actually going into their personalities and all the other stuff about them um but that's just that's just a personal thing i have against them and you know whatever but yeah the conjuring i liked it a lot wasn't really big on the conjuring too but that's just me again ghost stories not really my not really my bag so um I can appreciate them for what they do and for how they're put together. They're just not going to tickle my pickle. So. Fair enough. And again, you know, the Conjuring films are not intended to be biopics of the Warrens. That would be a fantastic movie. I'd love to see a biopic, like an actual real life angle on these two guys. But uh, yeah, for what they are, I think the Conjuring films like are very significant for the 2010 kind of reemergence of financial success and horror. Oh yeah. Uh, now Lee Winnell, he has written the first three Saw movies, Dead Silence, all four Insidious films, 2014's Cooties, 
uh, zombie comedy I haven't seen yet. That's Upgrade. Cooties is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking hilarious. Cool. And uh, he also wrote and directed wildly successful Invisible Man reboot for Blumhouse. Is set to do the same for the Wolfman in the near future. Very excited about that. So uh, the first Saw has the most star power to boast about. It stars Carrie Elwes as Dr. Lawrence Gordon. Elwes is one of my favorite character actors, has notably appeared in The Princess Bride, Robin Hood Men in Tights, the final season of The X-Files, had a recurring role in Stranger Things. So he's, he's popped up in you know, a bunch of stuff since the 80s. And uh, I don't think he ever really gets enough credit for his performances. I think he's really good in Saw. And uh, obviously, you know, he's the guy who takes off his foot. Yeah. In the film, I love how the beginning of the film, you know, you think, you know, oh, the straight-laced doctor versus the kind of manic ph- photographer. Obviously, he's the one who's going to chop his foot off. But nope, complete role reversal by the end of the movie. I love it. We'll get to that. Uh, we talked about Lee Winnell. He plays Adam. Michael Emerson uh, plays reluctant Patsy Zepp Hindle, whose name has lived on for the franchise as the title of Charlie Clouser's famous musical score. Tends to start up right when the big reveal is about to happen. Obviously, you know, definitely my favorite part of every Saw film. And uh, Michael Emerson, of course, famous for his role of Benjamin Linus on Lost. His name was Henry Gale. <laughs> Such a creepy, well crafted villain on that show did you watch lost josh i watched it i never finished it um and i didn't like intend to not finish it it just kind of happened that way so yeah i mean it was it was fun yeah i mean you know you can definitely see that uh jj abrams is like a genius as far as like you know the, the guy's a freaking i don't know he's he's amazing Gets people to come back every fucking week. Yeah. <laughs> I used to think JJ Abrams was a genius. And then he, you know, did that last Star Wars film. And I I don't know. I have issues well, with he's JJ a, he's, a, he's a genius and 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 entertaining and getting people to come on out. I would yeah, say I would say he did he did a great job with The Force Awakens. That was that was good. That was him handling it. I think with the last Star Wars movie, that was him taking somebody else's shit and trying to put his polish on it and it just didn't just didn't work i agree 100 percent. they should have just let colin trevorrow do what he wanted to do i mean nobody had a plan so just give it to somebody who's fucking gonna, gonna try <laughs> yeah yeah but you know we're past it it's been a year time to move on <laughs> uh danny glover plays detective tap a psychologically broken ex-cop who goes to extreme lengths to catch jigsaw Glover is a notable character actor, famous for his role as Detective Roger Murtaugh in the Lethal Weapon franchise. He was getting too old for this shit in, in the 80s. can only imagine how he's feeling now. <laughs> Some of his other films include Predator 2, Angels in the Outfield, The Rainmaker, The Royal Tenenbaums, and 2012, among many others. Another fantastic character actor who has kind of always been in like on the sidelines of fame, I think. Like, I don't think Danny Glover has ever been like as celebrated as he should be. There's a lot of that going around in this film. Uh, Then we have Ken Lung as Detective Singh, another Lost alumni. Uh, He played Miles Strom, psychic for hire on that show, has also appeared in such films as Rush Hour, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Red Dragon, The Squid and the Whale, X-Men The Last Stand, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. He gets around. (laughs) No kidding. Ken Lung. Lots of IP. Oh, yeah. 
And uh, this film also introduces the recurring characters of Detective Carey, played by Dina Meyer from Starship Troopers, Amanda Young, played by Shawnee Smith, and John Kramer, the Jigsaw Killer, played by Tobin Bell, who has been Jigsaw for eight movies. And I really hope that he pops up in Spiral. I don't see how he will, but you know, you never fucking know with this guy. <laughs> um, Saw has an IMDb score of 7.6, but a Rotten Tomatoes score of only 49%. Pretty big uh, disparity there. And uh, despite the critical backlash, it was a colossal hit, grossing $103 million on a budget of only $1.2 million. Spawned seven sequels and one reboot currently in production, as well as two video games. So let's talk about Saw. What are some of your favorite moments of this film, guys? The beginning. The beginning is, uh, is like timeless at this point to introduce your film with, with, as the audience being with these two guys and being confused with what's going on. I find that to be, every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm right at home. Yeah, right on. Uh, I think this film sets up everything it needs to say mm -hmm. right from the beginning. And uh, I love, you know, lately there's been these trends of like, escape rooms. Yeah. I think all that shit came from Saw. <laughs> this movie's, you know, the ultimate escape room horror, apart from the film, you know, escape room. <laughs> which I admittedly I have not watched yet. So I don't have a dog in that race, <laughs> but um, I, I do love how, you know, it sets up, you know, two guys in a room tape in the, in the pocket, you know, X on the wall, dead guy on the floor, gun in one hand, tape recorder in the other. What's going to happen next. <laughs> it's, it's intriguing as hell. What about you, Josh? Uh, so again, I'll probably go back to just like how it's, how it's put together and how, there isn't really like as far as like the scenes within the bathroom go there's really nothing there that's a throwaway even right in the very first shot where you see the key that was gonna you know make all this go away just whoop, right down the drain all of that comes back it pays off and everything in there that was the strongest part for me that that was i watched it again last night and everything else outside of the bathroom scenes i was just like these are dragging a lot I know that they're trying to, you know, flesh out the rest of the movie and to try and give a little bit more background on, you know, kind of what's going on, because I'm sure if this movie would have been released and it would have, you know, two thirds of it would have just taken place in the bathroom, a lot of people probably would have been bored and not been able to handle it. So I think the way that they used everything else outside of that to create a lot more tension and to build the stakes was really great but yeah the the beginning is damn near perfect damn near perfect because like i said nothing is wasted yeah i i like how the film sets up jigsaw it doesn't just come out he's not a straightforward horror movie bad guy he's much more psychologically uh creative and the way they kind of show you know the weird, like the guy who, who tried to kill himself, who he puts in the razor wire, the the dude who uh, has the flammable liquid on the wall to try to try to find the, um, the the passcode. All those little traps do, do a great job to show you just how depraved and also very intriguing this bad guy is. And uh, throughout the you know franchise, we just learn more about Jigsaw and his methods and his plan, and it gets extremely convoluted. But in the first film, it's very tight, very concise. And uh, the, the reveal is so fucking brilliant. How it's just like the dude lying on the floor the entire time. 
is the dude behind all of this. I never, when you first saw this, guys, did that just blow your fucking minds? Oh, yeah. It's definitely on the same level as like seven and usual suspects of like, holy shit, that, that moment, that specific moment. I'll never forget it. But what's great about oh. Saw is that it still lasts. That moment still lasts. And, and when you are seeing those opening of the key falling, all that good stuff, him on the floor is brilliant. So you said that the scenes outside the bathroom are kind of uh, kind of bland for you. Uh, let's talk a bit about those. Uh, mainly uh, Detective Tapp's investigation towards Gordon. Um, what 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 is it about those scenes that kind of pulls you out, Josh? Um, I think because it feels like a, some of it's done out of order. Because like when you're when you're first seeing Tapp and everything, he's still a cop. But then like you see him just kind of sitting in this room, and all of a sudden you're like this guy's fucking bananas. And then it just, I don't know. It just, it, it just kind of feels like it was slapped together to kind of give a little more background on who tap was, who tap is and kind of why he's doing what he's doing almost as if you don't really know what his motivations are outside of he's a cop. And yeah, he definitely has a more vested interest in it because his partner gets killed and all of this other stuff and then actually it because the i guess the the way they use him he does end up like piecing the puzzle together that he's not working alone there is somebody else that he has kind of helping him out in the form of zap kind of you know kidnapping um dr borden's family and doing all that stuff so and that was just kind of inadvertent. He wasn't even trying to do that. It just happened that he saw this in pictures. Um, yeah, so some of it just felt kind of unnecessary. I don't. That's that's like me being really nitpicky after seeing it and then reading on kind of how they needed to fill in the blanks, so to speak, with just padding. I don't want to. I don't want to use padding, but you know, getting a lot more of uh, a feature length out of it. So some of it just felt a little unnecessary. At the Fair same enough. time, you, at the same time, when you have Danny Glover, you 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 got to use him, especially if you only have him for two days. Yeah, sure, but I wish they'd written his character a little better. I think Tap is a terrible fucking cop. I mean, all he does is you know he finds the pen light and immediately is like, all right, obviously Gordon is Jigsaw, even though he has an alibi, has no connection to any of these people. He is one hundred percent the bad guy. He never wavers from that. He's watching Gordon's apartment. That's how he discovers Zepp. Like, he's not looking for Zepp. He just stumbles into this shit. And I do wish that, you know, Danny Glover had gotten a meteor character to play. Yeah, always. But also, but, but, but again, just two days. That's tough. Yeah, he's not the focus here. He is kind of, I think he was more of a selling point. Like, hey, we got Danny Glover. Oh, yeah. Oh, so absolutely. Absolutely. His, his name was definitely going on that poster, for sure. <laughs> 100%. I don't I think Michael Emerson gets overlooked big time in this. I I just love that guy to death. Me too. Me and too. he's such a like I love how they set him up as Jigsaw. Like, oh, obviously it's the orderly from the hospital, but nope, he's got, you know, poison in his veins and he's being used too. It's the layers, it's the la you know, the giant beefy 900 layer burrito that is the Saw franchise. Yeah. I love I love Michael Emerson in in the the way that he do totally got casted for Linus because of this movie. 100%. Because Lost season one starts in 2004. 
and he's not really, you know, a part of the beginning stages. He comes in later. So a hundred percent, they watched him. We're like, Oh, that's our Linus. And I love that. <laughs> that is cool. That is cool. One thing that's always bugged me about the Saw franchise, as you know, it started in 04. Uh, I don't want to say ended, but the most recent film is 2017. He's got to be the only, like Jigsaw has got to be the only person keeping the tape recorder business going, right? Yeah. He's yeah. got tiny tapes in every single film. Yes. Like, where is the, where is he buying these tapes? Flea market. Get an MP3, like, you know, set up a laptop and say, play me. But like the fucking tapes, it just gets ridiculous after a while. Like who has so many tape recorders? Like what? that's what they should be doing. They should be like to catch this guy. They should be staking out places where you can buy fucking tape recorders. Yeah, pawn shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Key <laughs> markets and fucking yes. Yes. Walmart yeah. parking lots where people Basically are- hang out with the It's Always Sunny cast and <laughs> we'll probably stumble upon that shit. Because you know that there's one guy in wherever, whatever city this is supposed to be, LA or whatever, who loves John Kramer. Because yeah. he's like, oh my god, it's my favorite customer. Yeah, I'll take eight more tape decks, Johnny. Like, <laughs> just, oh my god. Did we, did we order in those two tape decks? You know he's coming. Yeah, I've got three boxes of tiny little tiny tapes for you. <laughs> just, I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but that's that's always bugged me about the Saw franchise. One of those touches that's that's doesn't really age. And also, you know, renting all this giant real estate mm-hmm. of deserted warehouses. <laughs> I feel like I could have caught Jigsaw pretty damn fast. <laughs> That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, Tobin Bell doesn't really, you know, he doesn't come up a lot in the first film. He's just, you know, a corpse. But as this, as he progresses in the uh, in the franchise, I think Tobin Bell it does such an amazing job as Jigsaw. Just this cold, callous, but, like, slightly hopeful tone he's got of, like, maybe this will work, but also fuck all these people if they don't try. <laughs> yeah. I love him. I don't think anybody else could have done John Kramer as well as Tobin Bell. No, right? It takes, yeah, takes the exact right pick for a tall work. Is there, are there any actors that come to mind who you think might have pulled off Jigsaw as well as he did? That's a good question. Nobody's popping into my head. 2004. Brad Dorif comes to mind. But see, I think, I think with the manic energy he can bring in a in a character, that's something that Jigsaw is totally, totally void of. He is very calculated. He's very measured in everything that he does. So I'm sure, I'm totally sure Brad Dorf could do it. I just think with how people know him. He definitely, yeah. he always, he always has some kind of manic energy to him. When he was the doc in uh, fucking uh, Deadwood, he always brought it. He was one of my favorite characters in that whole damn show. Brad Dorf knows how to bring it. Exorcist 3, Brad Dorf, bringing it. Chucky, bringing it. He knows how to bring it. Just always animated, always animated. True, but I look at a, a role like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest where I think he's fairly reserved. And I think that he could bring that kind of quiet, you know, uh, what's the term? Non, like when you don't really stand out, when you blend into the crowd. I feel like- Nondescript? Could, nondescript, thank you very much. That nondescript energy. I think that Brad Dourif has that in spades in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I think if he brought that kind of energy to Saw, I think he could have been a very good Jigsaw. 
I kind of like the idea of the actor being someone that we don't have any attachment to. Um, and in the way that, you know, horror has done to us in the past where it's like, this is just the right guy. Yeah. No one else can do it. That's true. And I kind of like that sometimes. I kind of like when it's this nameless, faceless, you know, sort of thing. Yeah. Whereas like, of course, if I'm thinking 2004, I'm like, fuck it, let's go Leo. <laughs> you know, the guys, no the way. guys in his early thirties and that would be awesome. But, oh my God. But I would rather have a guy that I don't really know at all. Leo DiCaprio wouldn't be caught dead in a movie with Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> well, do they have some do they have some beef the i don't know about no he's just they're nowhere near like they're not in the same league in the fucking slightest <laughs> have you have you seen the beach not in a long time you can't talk about leo until you see the beach <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> that's one of the worst decisions of all time yeah <laughs> um so what do you think about the pig mask uh why do you think that Juan and uh, Winnell chose a pig mask? I think in this one, they weren't really sure what was going to stick as far as some kind of visual representation of, you know, who Jigsaw was. I don't think they were counting on that little ventriloquist dummy to really have the, the creep factor that it did. When really, if you think about it, that fucking thing is creepy as shit. Not to mention the fact that Lee Winnell wrote Dead Silence. He knows a thing about creepy dolls. So, like, yeah. go with that. Um, I, I, I mean, also, it's just totally unsettling to have this giant, fleshy pig head, which they probably borrow from Motel Hell. Not saying they did, but I'm pretty sure they did. I watched that again recently, and that movie is so fucking great. If you guys haven't seen that, watch it it's it's in the book it's a good old time it's a good old time i just uh, I, I sent you a review about it too so check that out it's fucking funny motel hell for sure yeah it's in the book we'll draw it someday it's a lot of weird shit in that book we're gonna get to all of it one day very excited uh so this movie's obviously very uh like the narrative is very important it's very well crafted to be, you know, to, to kind of, you're on Gordon and Adam's side the whole time. Who do you, who do you lean more towards? In, neither, neither. In, in terms of like a relatability. Neither. Cause there, I think that's like my thing as I've, maybe when I, at first, maybe it was a little more the doctor. Cause he is like at first, not as unhinged, but as, as time has gone on and you like kind of, you know, well, you do know what's coming. I, I, I feel this hopelessness for both of them obviously and i i don't at this point feel a relate, relatability to either of them i think that comes with just seeing it you know a handful of times but at first uh lee winnell's character the photographer he seemed a little more a little more yeah at first unhinged which is more interesting right as a horror fan but i don't know as time has gone on they're both kind of like uh y'all are both fucked <laughs> yeah and you know jigsaw doesn't put pure nice like good people right. in these traps there you go yeah he puts voyeur like voyeurs and cheaters yeah yeah <laughs> so i don't they're both kind of shits yeah for different reasons but i think the character who sucks the most who i don't think gets enough hate is gordon's wife yes <laughs> yes allison good god she's only like in a handful of scenes but just you know the fight she wants like you know where are you going out you're never happy i am happy no, you're not. God damn it. Get out. 
Like it's such a poorly written fight. <laughs> you know. That's and 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 I think that that has to speak to you know the the fact that uh, maybe a lot of that was just contrived to kind of put a little bit more emphasis on some of the some of the more reprehensible things and that's one of the one of the beauties of this movie is that there are no clean cut good people in this movie which really reflects more about real life than anything else in movies where as far as hollywood goes you always have to have a clearly defined hero and a clearly defined villain this movie is all about being in the gray, all about being in that moral ambiguity where somebody can appear to be a wholesome doctor, family yeah. man, all that stuff, but he's a cheating, lecherous douchebag. And the other guy is, he's a fucking mercenary. He just goes and gets dirt on people and uses that to his advantage. And both of that, both of those types of actions are, you know, which oddly enough, does follow with Hollywood in that it's, you know, those kinds of moral actions are punished. And I think the the beauty of this in what Jigsaw does is that he forces you to make a hard decision. That moment where they figure out those saws aren't meant for the chains, it's like, you know, after that, you know, somebody's losing a body part by the end of this. And when I, like, when I first saw that scene, I like said it out loud. I was like, if one of these fuckers doesn't cut off their foot, I'm going to be really pissed. And it, it really speaks to that, that deep, dark part of us, part of everybody that wants to see some people make some really fucked up choices like that. It's like, it's why I will never get tired of watching Running Man. It's fucking wonderful. That actually brings up an interesting point. Uh, a lot of people with this franchise will put themselves in these situations and think like, could I do it? And could, could you do it? If you were in this situation and it was your family on the line, could you cut off your foot and get out of there? I would try to break, I would try to break my foot first before, before doing all that, because you've seen in movies and stuff, you know, people dislocate their thumbs and slide their shit out. Really. I would go for that first before I think like, all right, well, I guess I'm, and if, and if anything, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, even though it's a long shot that you're going to make it out of there, fuck it, I'm not just going to sit there and rot next to a fucking dead guy and some prick that I don't even know, I'm trying to get the fuck out of there. Well, I mean, we see Donnie Wahlberg break his foot and saw four, I think three which one was that at the beginning like the cold open is donnie's locked in the bathroom and he breaks his foot to get out of there three four or five yeah yeah it's three four, i don't know whatever one they of those blend. they blend but if i was locked in there i know i can't saw through the chain i'm i don't want to saw through my foot the, i would immediately try to saw through the pipe that rusted old pipe that thing's see, gonna snap but see that was that was actually something that was suggested in one of the early versions of the script was that they tried to saw on the pipes and they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense because if they could saw through the pipe, you know, why would they not be able to saw through the chain? So at that point, you really just got to set it up, which is why I loved when fucking Adam, his saw breaks and you're just like, Oh shit. This is real. This is real. I just love that. Neither of them try. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. You, I, would, you, you in those moments as a human, and you're you, you would try any last thing, anything other than cutting off a fucking body part. I'll try. So yeah, for sure they would try the pipe, right? Or try anything. Any, they would do anything. But I get why they can't. You know, it fucks up the movie. Yes. The movie would be five minutes long if they just cut through the pipe and walked out. Yeah. Or tried to smash a lock. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, Austin, could you cut off your foot? No, man. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm weak as fuck. I would rot. I would die. I would try to write a book, I guess, before I, before I take my last breath or something. I don't know. Uh, that would be it. There's no way I would, I would be able to. I try to make some kind of art while I'm in that room <laughs> to leave the world with. <laughs> uh, there's no way. I don't know. I might be able to saw off like a hand, but I don't know if I could do a foot. I'd lose lefty for the, you know, for the love of the game, but I don't think I could take a foot. <laughs> Man, I look like it's either it's either you or me at that point and fuck it man what's, they, what's, it's either you cut off your foot and you survive and you for the rest of your life only have one foot or you die so dude, yeah i think so yeah yeah like if you really and and look like if it really came down to it my adrenaline's going i'm a dad i'm doing anything i can do to get back to my daughter really but i'm, I'm talking more from like a like a comedic standpoint like nah i'd rot because because it, it really would be so difficult to look at a saw look at my own leg and be like oh my I, I love my feet. <laughs> but you mentioned, like, for the rest of your life, you'd only have one foot. But the rest of your life is probably going to be for the next five minutes because your ass is going to bleed that, out. That, that too. That immediately. Too. So, yeah. And that's and that's where, like, having a doctor do it, he knows he knows yeah. what to do. And, yes. like, I've, I've had enough – I've had enough training with how to properly fucking tourniquet a body part and, like, that's wearing, right. yeah. Yeah. all that stuff. What are like, we doing? You can do it for both of us. I'm I'm good. Shit. I'll just I'll just look away and bite down. Yeah, we're no, nah, dog. You're too far away at that point. <laughs> <laughs> which which also also let's okay since we're going for giggles, let's talk about how great they were at throwing each other stuff across the room the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking ridiculous. Who taught? Who throws like that underhand when guys, stuff's fragile like that? Guys who make movies like Lee Winnell. <laughs> doesn't know how to throw here i'm gonna throw all of these pictures at you and you're gonna get the one that you need to see i'm gonna throw these highly you know plastic tiny little tapes i'm gonna chuck it across the room so it'll shatter against the wall and then we can listen to it i always thought it'd be hilarious if gordon loaded the gun with the bullet and then like slipped and accidentally shot jigsaw in the head (laughs) like they think, oh, I shot the body, but he's going like, oh, oh. <laughs> like he's just dying. It's a chance we're willing to take. That would have been hilarious. But um, yeah, they're terrible at throwing stuff. I love Lee Winnell's fake electrocution. Yeah, that was that was that was some fun acting. <laughs> that is the most ridiculous shit in this franchise. <laughs> like somebody's gonna fucking buy that. <laughs> That's not how poison kills. Yeah. Um, what are some other great moments in this movie? Well, well I, know, I know you want to talk about, like, traps, obviously, you know. For, for this film, like, how, how, how genius do you find the actual plot devices that, like, the character Jigsaw is using? How genius do you find them to be now? How have they aged for you guys? In the first film, I think that, I believe that, like, a guy with a rudimentary understanding of engineering yeah. could put this shit together. Yeah. I, I agree with that. 
the more the franchise goes, the harder it gets to believe, to believe it, that yeah. somebody could build all this shit in secret. Yeah. But the first film is contained enough that, yeah, I buy it. You know, razor wire, cage, room with flammable liquid, old bathroom with chains. I, get, I buy that. Yeah. 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 How about you, Josh? It's got a it's got a very DIY attitude towards it, and yeah, I mean when you when you put in the the characteristic of a, a man who's an engineer, absolutely, you know that he's capable of doing that. However, when they do start dragging the stuff out into the subsequent sequels, and you're like, the one that's in the hotel, like seriously, like you get, and everything has to happen perfectly. There's no bloody way that somebody's going to be able to anticipate every move that a human being is going to make, especially under duress and all of it's going to happen and go off without a hitch. Like that's some deleted scene shit you want to see. You want to see somebody like tripping and then a fucking shotgun goes off. And you're like, oh, damn it. Fuck me. I'm glad I didn't fucking keep my head up for that. Like, and that's, and that's where people do suspend their, their disbelief because that's what people started to gravitate towards with these movies. And I'm I'm okay with that to a certain extent. When it's the only thing that the movie is about, then it just gets really boring and repetitive and stale. And then I'm just like, I gotta check out, man. I don't think I watched anything after like Saw Four. Maybe I might have seen Saw Five, but I don't think so. And it's also why I'm kind of like meh about Spiral. I'm like, I'll probably watch it, but I'm not gonna like make time for it i um i do want to talk about one thing that you had mentioned uh, a bit ago about how the characters in this franchise are very gray and nobody's really you know a hero and i i think it's interesting that the characters you follow through this franchise primarily are the villains john kramer and uh then hoffman mm-hmm. you you have like you're forced to relate to them from a narrative standpoint it's a very interesting way to do a, to do this well, yeah, it's, for, it, it's really forcing you to see the evil inside you, I think. A, True, a lot, a lot. but it's also forcing you to see the, the conflict between Jigsaw's ideology and the way people are going to act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People's actual like, actions. It makes yeah. you think, like, do these fuckers deserve this? And it's I mean, at times you're like, fuck yeah, rip, you know, poke their eyes out. But also, I don't know. I, I think that's cool. Yeah. The, the, then, then you're like, oh, do I, you know, do I deserve something bad? Have I done anything horrible? And, and you know, not to that extent, I don't think. No, no, but but something like when we're like, oh yeah, fuck you, you cheater, you know, and yeah. like you deserve this or whatever. And, and then you look at some of the mistakes you've made in your own life. You're like, oh, maybe, maybe I deserve a little punishment too. If that's, <laughs> I always feel bad for the people who are trapped in the game as like collateral damage because yes, they just yeah. knew the people. <laughs> yeah who did horrific shit like the secretary in saw six who yeah. was just like some grandma who just happened to be like you know to work for the fucking healthcare guy and she gets yeah. locked in a trap guilty by association of course yeah <laughs> at that point oof and also if i were in these traps i would be terrified that i would accidentally erase the tape and not get the instructions <laughs> shit we have to guess you know like i've often i've done that before you know play and record are right next to each other and if you're not careful, you're going to hit record and that tape is dead. Yes. So I feel like I would do that and just fuck up everything. Yeah, I wouldn't or, know. Yeah. Or drop the key down the drain at the very beginning of everything. Yeah. I wouldn't know I had poison in my body. I wouldn't know my family was in danger. I'd just be like, fuck, what, was, what did this tape say? Oh, yeah, totally. I would have to listen to it, especially when you got a guy going, hello, 
I'd like to play a game. I'm like, hold on, bro. You got to fucking like hawk a loogie or yeah. get, get that what? thing out of your throat and speak clearly. Enunciate, please. I get some subtitles, Johnny Boy. <laughs> like, but my I life is on the line. I want to be sure what I heard. <laughs> could I just, could I just see this transcribed <laughs> onto, a, onto a piece of paper, please? A letter is much more effective than a tape recorder you can barely understand. <laughs> When you're well, your life or the life of your family is on the line, I want to be 100% sure that I'm getting the full instructions, nothing omitted. Yes. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so let's talk about the scene everybody was looking forward to the cutting of the foot. So, Gordon sawing off his foot to, to get that phone, which was very accessible with everything he had. Maybe, you know, the saw reached a few extra inches. He could have just used that to grab the phone. Admittedly, he is not thinking straight. Yeah. And he is trying to get out of the room. But that scene is still very fucking effective. <laughs> it's the way he does it. The buildup, you know, gra- ripping his shirt off, tying it around his leg. Adam's like, oh, shit, you're doing it. Like, the realization, him, like, screaming as he watches Gordon saw off his own fucking foot. Gordon screaming through the pain. It's done so well. <laughs> it's done so And you don't see much. It's very uh, limited. Yes. It's yes. all about what's in your brain. And I think that that that's another thing about this movie that is vastly different from all of the sequels. Like everybody remembers it for being so violent and so gory and whatever. And like other than the 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 very like real puddle of jigsaw that's right in the middle of the room, the movie is like it's not it's not as gory as all the other movies are. It's really not. And then you find out that the fucking the dead guy in the room, that was fake anyway. That was some fucking special effects shit. Like, so really, like, it's all suggested. And I think I think being able to see it, because you know, like once once that moment is set up in the very beginning, it's all about setup and payoff. When that moment is set up, I'm telling you, like I was I was like that where I was like, this fucking guy better cut it. Somebody better cut a foot off. Somebody better, or I'm gonna be super pissed off because you are just now throwing that little nugget out there it's got to happen it's got to happen and it's all about teasing that teasing that teasing that and then there it was still super super effective because you can feel that shit you feel that shit carrie always knows how to pretend he's cutting his own foot off yeah yeah it's effective and great 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 directing uh the camera work is stellar right there like like you're saying when you don't see much that's that that's practicality and that's using your budget to your to your advantage and like you said, Josh, kind of uh, playing with the audience's head. It's really cool. I do think that Carrie Elwes could have done better with the aftermath of the foot cutting. I think his quiet <laughs> little weird way of talking with like no blood in his face, a <laughs> little, little awkward. But um, mid-cut, very good performance. Yeah. Start of cut, <laughs> mid-cut, great. In-cut, yeah. not, so, not so great. <laughs> oh, God. And then, you know, Zap getting beaten to death with the back of a toilet. That's satisfying as fuck. Uh, even though it is revealed that he was a patsy and he didn't want to be here. I love that though. The music Boy, kicks the in and it's like, oh shit, he's not Jigsaw. Who, who is Jigsaw? The guy in the in the room, just seeing him get up in the background. God damn. It's such an effective twist. It's you, Nobody ever would have thought that. It's so smart. Ugh. Literally in the room the whole time. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely. I mean, you, you start to... You start to take him for granted that he's there. He just becomes part of the part of the furniture. 
in, in the problem. room. Yeah. And then as soon as he does move, I remember how effective that was the first time I saw it. And even, and even still knowing, knowing it, when you watch it after the fact, you're still just like this motherfucker. Like you still marvel at how genius it was to have everything self-contained, everything right in there. Everything that mattered in that movie was in that room. Everything. <laughs> so cool. And then I love that in the, as the franchise progresses, we go back to that room several times and we just see the continually de- like further decomposed bodies of Zepp, Adam and Gordon's foot. <laughs> I love that connection. We just, nobody ever found Adam. It's so fucked up. He died of starvation in that room. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Don't. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> oh, uh. Game over. Fantastic ending. I, yeah, I love the first saw. Um, let's discuss some filmgasm facts. Uh, I tried to find different ones from the ones that I did way back uh, on episode nine when I did this solo. Number one. According to the DVD commentary, director James Wan pointed out that many of the scare scenes in the film were nightmares that he and Lee Winnell had as kids. So that actually explains the pig mask a little bit better. Yeah. (laughs) Guarantee you that nightmare came from Amityville. (laughs) Number two, the entire film is shot in 18 days. That's impressive. Number three. And not including the video game, Detective Tap is the only main protagonist in the franchise who does not die from either Jigsaw's traps or playing one of his games. He is rather shot instead and left for dead in the sewers. So he's the only character in the entire franchise who dies outside of a trap. Wow. That's kind of cool. <laughs> he just got too old for that shit. Yeah. Yeah. No backup, just pursuing a very dangerous criminal into the woods. I mean, not woods, into the sewers. With no backup, like no badge. Fucking crazy. Number four, according to the BBC, this is one of the most profitable horror films of all time. Well said. I love it. So let's talk a bit about the sequels. We won't do a lot, but like just kind of a through line what these are about. 2005 Saw 2 follows a house full of ex-cons who must escape before the poison in the air kills them, while Jigsaw himself has a sit down with a hothead cop played by Donnie Wahlberg. I like Saw 2. Uh, I I haven't seen any of these in a long time. (laughs) Well, yeah, they're good watch. Well, they're they're fun watches. They're not good movies, but they're fun. Yes. Saw 3, 2006, follows a doctor who was kidnapped in order to keep Jigsaw alive while a man who recently lost his son must play Jigsaw's game to save his daughter. Jeff. God, I love Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, Angus McFadden is fucking crazy in that movie. He's a terrible father. Uh, 2007 Saw 4 happens at the same time as Saw 3, follows another hothead cop who must learn a lesson to save his friend. Saw 4, I think, is the most forgettable one. Because apart from Donnie Wahlberg getting his head crushed by blocks of ice, I do not remember anything else. (laughs) 2008 Saw 5 sees Jigsaw's apprentice, Mark Hoffman, start a new game Involving those responsible for covering up a fire for profit and Hoffman's past is revealed. I take it back. Saw 5 is the most forgettable one. 2009 Saw 6 is a fan favorite, or at least it is for me, as we see a team of... <laughs> I'm a fan, and it's a favorite. <laughs> Therefore, it's a fan favorite. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> Fuck it. 
We see a team of heartless health insurance deniers put into Jigsaw's game while the cops close in on Jigsaw's apprentice. It's just nice to see all of these fuckers get theirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there more despicable human being in America than fucking health insurance people who are like, I know you have cancer, but well, not feasible, so fuck <laughs> off. Ugh. 2010 saw the final chapter, follows Hoffman on the run as he puts a fake Jigsaw victim into a game for real. Could see Sean Patrick Flannery rip his nipples off. Pretty satisfying. Actually, that one's terrible. <laughs> it's originally called Saw 3D, so you can just guess how <laughs> great that was. 2017's Jigsaw shows a new game after seven years with all signs pointing towards the long-dead Jigsaw killer. And I actually thought that one was pretty smart. Yeah, I actually do like that one. That, that I had yeah. some uh, like legitimate scary moments, too. It took it, it was less gory and more, yeah. more like the first film, more kind of cerebral. Psychological, yeah. I like that. Yeah. And then uh, Chris Rock, of all people, never would have expected this, developed a new story for a new saw. And his film Spiral was supposed to come out this year, but thanks to COVID, it has been delayed to next year. Co-star Samuel L. Jackson looks very intriguing, definitely feels like Saw from the trailer. And uh, just to see Sam Jackson go up against Jigsaw, you want to play games, motherfucker? I mean, come on, how do you not love that? Who doesn't want to see that? Yeah, I mean, if I don't if I don't hear that line in that movie, I'm gonna be upset. Just put it like that. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm excited, and Chris Rock has been great in Fargo season four, so I'm excited to watch him in you know a, a different light. You know, yeah, for sure. It's an interesting idea, and I'm wondering how they're gonna connect it to Saw. I'm hoping it's more of a continuation, less of a reboot. Yeah, me too. Because I still feel like there's some meat in this story. Not a lot of it, but you know enough for a, another bite. In the right hands. <laughs> I give this film an eight. Solid horror flick. Great watch. Yeah, eight for me as well. Um, echo everything we said today. Uh, seemed like we all agreed on all accounts that there are some there are some moments that are not you know grade A cinematic moments, but as far as a effective horror movie uh, and you know practicality and and working on all those or working around all of that rather, uh, it's very impressive. Yeah, I, I give it a solid eight as well. Yeah, no. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'll, I'm right on the I'm right on the eight train as far as that goes. Um, yeah, you definitely know that it's it was made by some beginners. There are, you know, once you really start to look at it, you can see, you know, through the construction of it that a lot of the meat of it, for lack of a better word, was all about the bathroom yeah. setup, all of it. And everything else around it was just was more or less filler it was used effectively and they definitely you you see through the reveals and all of that that these two guys knew what they were doing um i'm very glad that those two didn't just pigeonhole themselves with this franchise and that they chose to spread their wings go out and you know create a name for themselves because well, more franchises i think they're two of the most you know the biggest names in horror right now two of them i i mean i'll i'll throw out panos cosmatos his the, the he did beyond the black rainbow and mandy and those are two of like the most polar opposite in terms of like their style and all of that but they're also like so out there and such a breath of fresh air when it comes to 
you know, everything that's been coming out, all the remakes that came before it, all of that stuff. Um, have you guys seen Beyond the Black Rainbow? Uh, no, but we have seen Mandy. Yes. And that was that was weird and fantastic and very original. And I was very happy when we got that. Yeah. Beyond the Black Rainbow is like the polar opposite to that. It's very uh, it's very contained. It's very restrained. Um, but it still oozes, oozes style. And that's something that Cosmatos is very comfortable with. He is not afraid to, you know, paint with a fucking wide brush and just go to town. So I, I encourage you guys to check that out for sure. It is, it is a mind fuck of a movie. Hell yeah, man. Uh, two other names come to mind as far as, you know, original, like, well-crafted horror films that are coming out today are Ari Aster and Robert Eggers. Oh, yeah. Those guys are fucking killing it. Their movies are weird as fuck, but so intriguing and just odd and mesmerizing. And I love that kind of stuff. Uh, I think The Witch and Hereditary are two of the best films to come out in the 2010s. Uh, the Lighthouse. I'd say The Lighthouse is, I think we're going to look back 10 years from now and look at it as one of the best horror movies of, of this century. It's a mind-boggling script and two two performances in the center of it that you just do not find in horror that often two performances that are that that strong and when that happens when you pair those things together you know a weird director a strange film strange screenplay you know very atmospheric and then two amazing performances yeah i i agree i think eggers is probably my favorite guy right now because the witch and the lighthouse are so 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 strong and uh, both like through and through horror movies. Uh, love that guy. Killer. We're in a good spot for horror. I think horror is in a very good place right now. I think we're getting a lot of creativity yeah. in the genre. Yeah. I mean, look at Flanagan even, you know, guys like, like that. Flanagan, yeah. You know, the, um, yeah. There, there's great stuff in the, the genre game. I mean, look at Bong Joon-ho, a guy who's won an Oscar now and a guy who breaks genre all the time and is always combining them and bending them and mashing them together. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a great place to be, I think. Killer. This was great, guys. Uh, very good discussion. Enjoyed this. I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope you had fun. If you did have fun, feel free to subscribe to this podcast on your listening platform or to our Filmgasm Productions YouTube channel, where you can find every episode of Filmgasm and Oscar Sunday, as well as whatever we've got planned for the future. We've got some cool stuff coming in 2021. We love feedback. We love starting a dialogue about movies. So if there's something you want us to know or just like what we do, Drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. We'll get back to you. We love, you know, suggestions, whatever you got. Oh, yeah. Uh, next week is going to be a big one. For me, at least. I hope for you guys, too. We're diving into what I believe to be the greatest vampire movie ever made. I've never seen it. Can't say. Teenage nerd Charlie Brewster <laughs> becomes convinced that Jerry Dandridge, the new neighbor, is a vampire preying on local women. To defeat him, he recruits washed-up TV vampire killer Peter Vincent to help slay a real-life vampire in the 1985 horror cult classic Fright Night. <laughs> One of my all-time favorites and a fantastic horror gem. Cannot wait. I want to thank Josh for being with us tonight. And uh, remember, enjoy your life. Don't use it to hurt yourself or others. Otherwise, Jigsaw might lock you in a dirty bathroom and make you cut off your own foot. See you next Wednesday.